Um, like Sam said, we're in this little mini season talking about moving ourselves from complacency uh, to passion. And um, I watched the live stream after church. And unfortunately, last week I watched it while eating my lunch. And if you were in church, you'll know that last week we talked about fasting. Yeah. And I had just got together um, cream cheese and pastrami. <laughs> And um, trying different breads and gluten-free bread, if that's your world, people, I feel you. It's not kind. And I got very excited about my sourdough, and it was quite a little little feast I was putting together for myself in the post-church uh, setting, and felt a little bit challenged um, about the awkwardness of the timing of a talk on fasting and some very much enjoyment of pastrami. But I was wondering, and I was kind of hoping at the time that that was happening, that there might have been a range of responses for you. And it was quite a challenge. Uh, If you haven't uh, heard Sam's talk from last week, I encourage you uh, to watch that. Because I think that when we get challenged, we can often feel quite threatened. Um, Or we can have something in us that actually just disengages. If it's too much, we think, well, that's lovely, but that might be for other people. Or we can sometimes, some of you crazy people out there, feel encouraged by challenge. It stirs something in you that says, yeah, that's me, I'll sign up for that. We can sometimes feel prompted and pushed in that way. Or for some of us, it can feel like agitation or maybe just a little bit of curiosity, whether that's something we could do. Others of us feel relieved that someone's brought up the thing, the elephant in the room, the next big step for them, or can be feeling excited or enthusiastic. Any number of responses can happen for us when we begin to acknowledge and address complacency in our lives and when we try and seek to learn to lean into passion. So for some of us, we're going to need a little bit of an on-ramp, a very gentle incline. We're going to need some kind of starting point, like a good beginner's level, as we kind of lurch towards embracing passion as a community. So I'm here for you for that on a personal level. And I've titled today's talk, A Learner's Guide to Prayer. These are the L plates of building a devotional practice of prayer. Uh, Embracing L plates has been very important in our lives recently. And some of you may have been there yourselves. And some of you, this joy is yet to come. But might I suggest as just a little piece of wisdom... Early on, you agree to which parent will take the lead of the learner driver lessons for your teenager. It's just a little parenting hint for you. Um, Some of the indicators, and that's a pun. Yeah, I'll do it again. So some of the indicators of the right person for the role of learner driver instructor include, and are not limited to, a personal sense of calm, a rational objectivity, Quick responses, strategic thinking, zero reactivity, internal processing, (laughs) regular breathing, positivity, a sense of hope, patience, a sense of wild and uncertain adventure, and an ability to see their child at their actual chronological calendar age and not four years of age. And when it's clear that you've chosen the right person, The other parent should stay inside (laughs) at all times, and they should be very quiet. And I think, you know, there's a period of time where you may try and work out, oh, I wonder if it was Luke or I wonder if it was Charlotte, and just, you know, let that list sift through your head. I'm disqualified on every single one of them. (laughs) 
So the practice of devotional prayer uh, hasn't been a win for me either. It hasn't been one of those disciplines that just comes super easy for me. And it's not yet been my sweet spot. But don't panic uh, because your children are totally fine. I have their well-being and spiritual development under control. I'm in there. I'm in that world of prayer, and I'm giving it a go. And I totally know it's part of following Jesus, and I love the idea of it. It's just not come easy for me. I'm pretty good at those 2 a.m. in the morning kind of raw emotional tirades at God, where I sound like the Psalms and those really bad ones. Um, I'm pretty good at those kind of lovely, good night, God bless, love you prayers, those really fast ones that you can do for your children when you're just like, thank goodness, they've gone. Um, I'm good at a list for Sundays. I'm a good prayer driving here to get started for Bay Kids. And I'm really good at the chat to God in the car, and I'm trying to overcome the ability to ask for parking when I know there's bigger issues going on in the world. And sometimes if I'm super brave, I actually pray for others. But I had suspected for a while that this wasn't really going to be enough for me. Uh, Blair's not here this morning, but there's a part of me that would quite like to be like him when I grow up. But I never really wanted to ask him how he got to be who he is. I didn't want to know what it takes to become Blair Applegate when you grow up, but I did know there was more. So there's lots of reasons we don't pray, and I'm talking in that context again of devotional practice of prayer, which some of you may know as a discipline or your quiet times. And so here are some of the reasons. First of all, we're very good at saying we don't have time. Time is a funny concept. We can actually find and make time for the things that we value and the things that we prioritize even when we're really busy. And interestingly, we will never be able to find the time for things that we push down the list and the things that we don't want to do, like dusting. There's never time for dusting. There's also never time for weeding. So, <laughs> Number two is that we don't know how. And that can be quite hard to admit, but some of us actually don't know how to pray. Those words just don't come easy for us, and the desire is long gone. And we know we're supposed to, but the truth is that we're not really sure what prayer looks like. Number three, we outsource it. We leave it to others, the giants, the experts, the clever, the faithful, the spiritual, the anointed, the early morning risers. Number four, we see it as additional. It's an extra, what we used to call in the classroom a fast finisher activity. It's one of those lovely options or one of those things that one day will be super really good prayers. It's this wistful notion. So we actually minimize its importance and we just save it for emergencies. And those emergency prayers are amazing. Number five, we exclude ourselves. So we think of it as not for us because it's actually too much. It's too hard, and it's too big, and it's too wordy, and it's too exposing, and for most of us, it's too disappointing. Those broken experiences can leave us with a residual prayer of being pretty sure that prayer doesn't work. Those feelings of anger and pride and mistrust can make ourselves feel excluded from being in the world of prayer. And we become really happy to abdicate this responsibility and ultimately this relationship. Now, to be really honest with you, I've experienced all five of these reasons, and I'm thinking from conversations I've had that you have as well. These are not reasons that necessarily stay forever. These can be reasons in a season. These can be reasons when we actually start questioning why we've not found the time and we can go a little deeper and work out what's going on. And I know I'm talking to a church. I'm talking to a large number of Christians who follow Jesus, and we're the ones that are still hanging in there, and we find it hard to pray. And some of you may not know why. 
So I don't know what's happening to us as adults because when I talk to your children about prayer and bay kids and I say, we always say prayer is easy and I'm the one saying this, so it's mostly just probably for myself. Prayer is easy. God always listens. Our language needs to be simple and it doesn't have to be fancy and it's just a little bit like talking. And they get it. Like, they really get it. And they're more like, okay, what's the problem? Was there a problem? They have very little to deconstruct in terms of the world of prayer. So something happens for us that we're missing. And I understand that it's a very different life being a kid. But somehow we forget that simplicity that a lot of us would have started with. We overcomplicate it. We forget that ease of chatting and asking and thinking. And we just lose our thirst. Or we give it over to something else and we keep our distance. C.S. Lewis said of prayer that we must lay before him what's in us, not what ought to be in us. One of the traps as an adult is knowing what you ought to say and ought to do. We have to leave behind our oughts, those ones we collect as adults from our overthinking and our inability to be honest and open, our fear of getting things wrong and our past failed attempts. We have to just start. I've been reading through the Psalms for a year now, and I set a goal for myself that I would read one psalm for a week, one psalm per week, not because I considered myself to be really great at meditating on Scripture, but I know that I'm really good at getting jobs done, and if I decide to read the Psalms in a year, I would read the Psalms in a year. I'm up to 55. We have been in a period of Psalms in the 50s where David is very okay with being honest and very okay with being angry, and I found those Psalms quite challenging because I want to say, thanks, David. I just wanted a little nugget to bury in my head for the day to kind of help me charge on, praise the Lord, you are my refuge and my strength, not may he kill many people, and may he destroy them and then may they go down to the dead but what that's taught me is just say the stuff just be open it's actually in the bible as it turns out in the second half of my life I want to try an experiment in reverse engineering so I've decided that when I'm officially an old lady and you'll say oh no Charlotte that's ages away but it's cool um the thing (laughs) there was a moment people you could have said it when I'm officially an old lady The thing I want you to be whispering behind my back about is that I'm a woman of prayer. I want to be known as a prayer, not because I value my exterior reputation, but because prayer becomes something that is at the core of who I am. And it has so oozed out of me that my life and giving away of myself reflects my internal passion of prayer. It reflects my conversation time with God. It reflects my time in his presence. It reflects a quietness that draws me into him in an overflow that becomes a safe refuge of compassion and care for others. This is not who I am. This is my plan working backwards of who I want to be. And so instead of this, and I tell you on purpose for accountability, in another 40 years' time, this is what I want to look like. And instead of this being a lofty dream, because it can so easily become a lofty dream, I want to systematically work backwards and put this into place. And that's why I have a devotional prayer time. I want to do the work that leads me to being passionate. I know enough about myself that it does not just happen. So for now, I bear our plates. I learn and I fail and I give it a go and there's no fluency and no sense of accomplishment sometimes, but instead I am in the world of practice. Um, Tyler Stanton, who's the pastor of Bridgetown and also the US director for 24-7 Prayer, preached last Sunday and said this, pray with the heart of a lover 
and the discipline of a monk. And so I wondered, how do I get to either? To either calling. I'd be happy with either of those options. How do we become lovers and how do we become monks? And I think it's needed, what's needed is a total reordering of our desires and that bravery to just put one foot in front of the other and do the next right thing. Because I know for me, without foundational prayer in my life, I worry and then I fix. Super helpful. And then I don't invite God in because I've got it. And then I sort it out for him. And then I doubt him. And then I get into a whole cycle of fear, which are overcome by control. And the whole world starts with I and ends with I. And it's just me alone, doing battle, making wins, taking names. And I, you're all hopefully looking and thinking, that's a little bit like me, but I am aware of the things I can do without God. And I can get so far, but it is a very, very lonely world, and I am very, very much trying to be controlling of all of it. So just so we're clear about some of the basics, uh, prayer is something we're meant to be doing. It's not really an argument. It's not really a discussion. It's just something we're meant to be doing. Matthew 6 from verse 5 lays the whole thing out for us. And it starts with when you pray. And like Sam mentioned last week, it's a beautiful assumption and expectation. So as you pray, people, this is some language and some culture around what your prayer looks like. So we don't have to worry about if we're supposed to. That can't go on one of our reasons to not pray. When you pray, there's a whole lot of expectations in those three words. The expectation is that you are praying. And then Jesus goes on to outline what he wants that culture of prayer to look like. And he says some words that help us understand that it needs to be a private culture of prayer. And it needs to be anchored in relationship. He uses the phrase a couple of times, to your father. With his perspective and his connection and his presence in your prayer. And with some sense of order and process and expectation. Jesus even um, generously provides us with a template, a teaching model that starts, pray like this. And it's a very good place to start, as Julie Andrews would say. And it actually covers all the bases. If you're super stuck, pray the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples to pray because he covers everything. He talks about having a father. He goes really big about the kingdom and about um, God's name being holy and his will being done. And then he talks about the very tiny specific things, the things you need just for the now. And then he talks about a prayer of sanctification and confessing sins. And then he encourages us to resist temptation. Everything is in there that you need for your world of prayer. When we teach reading to five-year-olds, at least last time I was in a classroom, we look at reading from three angles. So we have three aspects that have to happen in order to facilitate the learning of reading. These are to, with, and by. So reading too means that we immerse our five-year-olds in literature. We read to them. We read anything that has words and we say it to them. We point out signs. We point out labels. We point out accidentally inappropriate tagging. Uh, and we drench them in a whole reading culture and behavior. So that's reading too. The next part they need is reading with. This means they read with our support. It's us kind of chipping in, or it's taking turn, or we're reading in unison. There's a little level of accountability and support for them as they do their reading. 
And lastly, they need reading by. And reading by is that bit where they do it all by themselves. This battle for mastery, that painful sounding out process as a teacher and a parent that you've probably recognised. That reading back and forth trying to get meaning and those light bulb moments and the magic of it all clicking. And this is happening in a classroom level at multiple stages and multiple paces. In the same way it is with prayer. We need to be drenched in the words of others, in the words of Jesus. We need to surround ourselves with prayers. If we can't find our own words, we can lean into the ancient prayers, into liturgy, into all the beautiful resources that are available for us. Sometimes we need that support to just inspire us or encourage us or just to see that someone further down the path has got it sorted. Sometimes we need to just give it a go and sit there as it's clunky and it's coming out awkward and it doesn't feel fluent. And sometimes we can feel weird about that, but there has been little moments where heaven has touched earth at my kitchen table and I just get that tiny sense that I'm not alone in this. So it's with persistence and risk and hope and community that we learn to pray. We have Jesus' words, we have the words of others, and we have a sense within us of that deep calling to discipleship. Matthew 7 goes on to detail Jesus' words about effective prayer. Keep on asking, you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Philippians 4, Paul clearly reminds us, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So easy to know the first part of that verse. Don't worry about anything. Worst words, actually, to tell someone who's worried about something. But Paul goes on to say, instead of your worry, pray about everything, all the things you're worried about. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. That's a prayer. That's a pretty good prayer. Then you will experience God's peace. This is the result of prayer, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. For some of you, this will come so naturally. There will be an ease and a joy. And for some of you, it will be like you're back in the days of the owl plates yourself as you try and navigate a clutch and a gear stick, which supposedly is in the shape of an H, but actually your first gear is over here by the door and the second, third and fourth are all jammed up over here. And a concept called tutti. Can I just ask as a statistical question, has anyone heard of the word tutti in reference to an accelerator? This is for my father who shall be listening later. No hands are up. Okay, one. Still one is a small number in a large room of people. When it comes to learning to drive in my family of origin, the concept of tutti was introduced, which is a little bit of pressure on the accelerator. So the person teaching you to drive, who's looking rather white and hovering over the handbrake, yells tutti as a mean to kind of help you move forward and negotiate the clutch. I just had one of those moments where, upon sharing this word, there was a blank from the person I was sharing with and realised it just was a special word that belonged to my family, and thank you for helping me with the evidence. Tutti is not a word people know, parents. Thank you. So when you're learning to drive, and you may well remember, there's way too many individual aspects. There's so many things you have to know that have to align successfully together so you don't bunny hop. But it feels very, very odd that you have to make sure all these components come together. Now, as drivers, you will be surprised how many times you've arrived somewhere and have no idea how you drove there. Mm. 
So I felt that God was speaking to me about that, about my devotional practice of prayer, that my life was like two parallel lines existing right next to each other. One line is my life, my calling, my journey. It's just spluttering along. It's doing its thing. The other line next to it are the things that sustain me in that, my disciplines, my private world, the inner work I'm doing. He was showing me that the second line needed to go deeper, that this was no longer enough, that I needed to start uh, looking for some more depth, some more hunger, some more learning, some more letting go, more of him. He just alerted me to the fact, and it was my own agitation reminding me, that something needed to change. This track, this trellis, this framework, this foundation of prayer is the sustenance we need. Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, describes the disciplines themselves as being exercised right in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our life, not as an add-on or a disruptor, but that it's actually possible to integrate the practice of prayer into our current normal lives. Amy shared last week for communion about him meeting us in our mess. And this is because the primary requirement, as Foster says, is just a longing after God. Longing is something a lot of us have. It's just that that's never been the problem. It's what to do next, where we can get stuck. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. Prayer places you before God. You just have to get yourself there. Prayer is the means where he can bless you and we can grow. And Richard Foster says again, to pray is to change. We are transformed in and by prayer. I think it's important for some of us to hear that because prayer has become such a thing that we have to do. But all you are doing is placing yourself in front of God, acknowledging your own longing, acknowledging your need for him, and he will do the change. He will do the transformation. That is the, that's why it's necessary to prioritize praying and to plan for it because then you can put yourself in his presence. We must not be scared to create frameworks for ourselves. We must not be threatened by the concept of routine and rhythm. We can actually just lean into him. I've drawn a very detailed diagram for you um, of John 15. Uh, Is it quite just really clear? It's a clear explanation for you. John 15 says this. If you, Jesus' words, if you remain in me, so that's you, you're the stick figure, remaining in him, he's the big circle, and his words remain in you, that's the heart, by your heart, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Now the reason I tried to make it very clear for you with my excellent skills is because there's two things happening. You get to hide yourself in him. You get to be found in him. Then you have to hide his words in you. So when we hide ourselves in him, when we find ourselves in him, and we let his words stay in us, there's a safety in that relationship. That's a system that we can trust, and we can know what's on his heart. Sometimes remaining, those words remain in me, literally look like barely hanging in there. You can say remaining through gritted teeth, remain in me. And sometimes you're the kind of people who like to leap out of bed and are super eager to meet God in the morning. You're full of faith and you're keen for change. But mostly we're just in the middle. We're just faithfully obedient, trying to learn the stuff, trying to trust again, trying some new stuff and trying not to look surprised when it works. 
In Upper Click, we talk about the phenomena of the wagon. Are we on the wagon? Did we lose the wagon? Has the wagon shrunk? Did the wagon get lost? Are we hanging onto a wheel of the wagon? Are we now being run over by our own wagon? Our metaphor has become very stretched, but it's been very helpful. Our shared sentiment is that we are trying to remain, and many things are happening to us in this process. But the good news is there's always ramps, there's always on-ramps, there's always L-plates, there's always things that we can do in community with a God who loves us and receives us. God is always there to meet us where we are and slowly move us along into deeper things. The train stops at every station. In my own agitation for wanting more and for needing more and for wanting to work backwards into who I want to become, I needed a plan. It's important that you know my default is always a plan a grid, some structure in the chaos. But for me, that's a state of flourishing and life. I will never be the one wrestling with the rigidity of discipline. I will not be the one airborne on the floatiness of spontaneous prayer renewal. I listen to Beth Moore. She's an American woman. She's an excellent Bible teacher. She is a super sharp scholar, and she's delightfully Southern. And she taught on prayer, and she said the magic words that I love to hear, including plan, structure, and method. And so I decided she was the one, and I was in. So I watched a 46-minute tutorial on YouTube, and I decided that I would model my entire morning devotional practice on every single thing she said, because she used the word plan. And I would make it work to the best of my ability. Now, for those of you who get excited about following a plan, Oh, praise you. Great. That's good, because often it can feel like you're the only one. Um, For those of you who get excited about following a plan, and you like to do what you're told, let me just remind you and me, a plan is a tool. It is not the end game. It is a means to an end. It is a discipline that leads me to follow Jesus. And for those of you rebels who like to walk alone and forge your own path in the great darkness, you could think of it as an idea, a starting point, a little companion to your life of great adventure. So Beth talked about hearing from God through his word before she hears from anyone else. And I desperately needed that to start my mornings with before my brain started whirring. I wanted to collect my thoughts and start with God. So her plan includes interacting and journaling with God's word, some personal reflections and a prayer grid. And it looks like that. Super complicated. Just six sections that cover family, extended family, friends, the sickle grieving, church and mission, government and leadership. Just little things like that. And so what happens is as you work through the categories, they kind of broaden and you jot down some quick bullet points covering a whole range of things that are going on. And she encourages you just to, br- just to jot down what God brings to mind. So I pray for Luke and my boys. And I pray for our wider family. And I pray for what's going on in the lives of my friends. And I pray for those in the church that are on my heart who might be sick or going through hard times. And I pray for our church and our kids and our community and our leaders and world events. And all of this takes about 15 to 20 minutes because it's not about the time that I'm there. It's about disciplining myself to turn up and spend some time with God. And for me, it's about getting out of my own head and starting to think about what's going on for others. So these little scratchings in my journal page are a rhythm and a plan and it's a process and sometimes it feels very awkward, like clutch and gear and tutti. And sometimes it feels very disconnected 
And sometimes I can see that I'm just needing to trust God more and my prayers need to be bigger. I've noticed there's just been a slight change in how I've prayed. I've prayed some very small details just in case God wasn't aware of the roster for Sunday and some of the issues if there's not enough people. And I'd put a lot of time into prayer roster in box number five, which possibly should have been a broader box. And then I've realized that over time I've let go a little bit. I've got a little bit of trust and faith happening. And I pray that God would have the right people available. And I pray for how our morning would go, whichever way it looks like. And I just take my hand off a little bit. I'm learning to think big. And I'm learning to be a woman of my prayer, a woman of my word in regards to prayer. So that if someone says, can you pray for me? I say, yes, I'll just get you sorted on my little grid. I want to see those small moments of God's faithfulness. So I date what I've written and I look back and I find that so rewarding to see that God is in charge. God is working. He is faithful. He is generous. He does care. And a lot can happen for at least four days every week. These little offerings are given up, but it's me that has been transformed and me that has been encouraged. It's a little grid in which I am flourishing. But you need to know too that it's not one or the other. It is both. Prayer is a discipline and it is a delight. And the rhythm is what brings this together. That accountability to keep us hanging in there and our ability to anchor ourselves in God. Relationship and flourishing and transformation. These are the big goals of those little moments when we reach out to pray. So fear not the lunar plates, friends. Now I am aware that there are spiritual giants in this room. And those of you who have graciously carried us in prayer, who have contended for us as a church, who have laid foundations and have taught and have loved us and encouraged us. And for that, I am very, very grateful. I ask that you keep praying for us, the ones that carry the L plates, that you recognize our L plates and you come alongside us and you help us to be accountable. You tell us your stories, your really, really good ones and your disastrous failing ones. We must, as a church, continue to talk honestly about our journey of prayer, particularly as we go into the season of prayer and fasting, and particularly as we start to examine that sense of complacency and, and the need for passion within ourselves. We must build a culture of authenticity around prayer. We must have honest, hopeful discussions about prayer, about where we're at and what's hard and why we're agitated and when it's not working and where we want to go with it because the train stops at every station. So I think we understand that prayer is listening. I think we understand that in that stillness we can learn a lot about ourselves. But I want to share today that it's not meant to be complicated. It is an open honest chat. We are his children and we are communicating with the Father and we are encouraged to ask and ask and ask. Now, in thinking about this, I've realized that this is highly impactful in terms of how you see your own Father, your earthly Father. If you're picturing that ability to just sit in front of your heavenly Father and ask him for things, that picture can get a little warped when there's been some issues in your own life with your, heaven, uh, with your earthly father. And these can be negative things or these can be positive things, but um, particularly an absent father, some, a father who's been frightening, a father who's been busy, a father who's been distracted or demanding or unavailable, a father that's not been keen to be interrupted. We can have a distorted image of God as our father because of who we know on this earth. 
And sometimes it can feel like with intrepidation we're approaching some very scary figure when in fact he's just saying, come and sit with me. Come and be with me. Come and tell me what you need. Come and tell me what's going on. Lean into me. Trust me. See where I'm working in your life. Our Father in heaven is generous and he loves us. He is slow to anger and he's quick to love. Prayer can be an undoing and an unlearning and a letting go of some of those wounds. At the same time, with all of this learning and growing and transformation and practice and depth, there can be a lot going on for us as we pray. Prayer can be disruptive. It can be something we don't feel we have time for. But prayer can also be anchoring. It can be the thing that gets us through the day. Prayer can be ordinary. Prayer can be routine. Prayer can be disciplined. Prayer can be a habit, whether it's mental before it's affected your heart or your spirit. At the same time, it can be a sense of love and relationship and conversation and joy. Prayer can be holding on. Prayer can be snuggling in. Prayer can be less. It is ultimately a great invitation to subtraction. Matthew 11 says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Prayer is an invitation. So if prayer is the great hope of your soul or maybe just the tiniest blip of thought on your radar, then Thomas Merton's words ring very true. The only way, if you want a life of prayer, then the only way is to get it, is by praying. So try liturgy, try set prayers, try the Lectio 365 app, try the Pray As You Go app, try the Version app, try a prayer walk, try a prayer journal, Try the ancient prayers, the Lord's Prayer, the Psalms, accountability in your huddle, coming to an upper click, using our home church resources or 24-7 prayers resources. Ask someone for a good book. I'm trying to read three of them currently. Or just make a plan to show up. Give him five minutes of your time. He is worth it. To quote Tyler Stanton, only pray as you can. Don't try to pray as you can't. Strap on your learner plates, your little training wheels, and lean into the thrill of beginning. Contend for your rhythms, knowing that you only fall into the arms of a father who loves you. 